And welcome to Stack Hunters. I'm Bradley Stalder. And joining me tonight, Billy Muzio, Director of Operations for Player Profiler. Billy, you've been on a marathon drafting this week, and you will continue to do through the start of the season. How are you faring? How's your beard doing? How is life in the draft streets? I haven't showered in five days. I just take the oils, just rub it into the beard now. No, all, all kidding aside, I'm a little tired, but it's it's this is expected this time of year. It's prime drafting season. There's a bunch of tourists out in the FFPC streets. They're getting their main event drafts in, their, their 350s, F, the Fantasy Pros Championship. I'm, I'm just trying to max out the best ball. I eclipsed the 100 in the second tournament. I don't think I'm going to get 150, but I'll probably settle around the 120 mark. So got pretty close to maxing that thing out between my teams and the team with Dave and the, some teams with Theo and the podcast, et cetera, and yours. And, and so it's been a long couple weeks here, the tail end of the off season. Last big push is to get the projections updated tonight as well with all the cuts. A lot of, lot of news today that affects the overall construction of the projections and then try to get that cheat sheet updated for all the drafts and then, then maybe get some sleep in between. That's right. Lots of news today hitting the streets, some more important than others. But I think the biggest headline before we get into tonight's topic is, of course, Jonathan Taylor. So Taylor, if we remember, his ADP back in May was 13th overall. He's now dropped to 27th overall and just continues to plummet. I was asked in the Discord for Player Profiler, how far is Jonathan Taylor going to fall? And for me and Billy, I'd like your take on this, too. I think it's around the David Montgomery tier-ish. Maybe a little bit lower, maybe a little bit higher, but around that spot is about where um, maybe running back 27 to 30 is probably as far as I'd let him fall. But I think my trepidation has to do with, is the ankle still okay? Because if it's still not okay, it doesn't matter how elite he is or if he's playing on the Indianapolis Colts. I think there's a lot of factors at play here, not just that Jonathan Taylor is holding out or initially placed on the pup. Yeah, it's a complicated situation. He was one of my players to avoid when I guest appeared on the Fantasy Pros podcast. People didn't like it, but here we are, boys. I was right. I was wrong about Jacobs. Receipts. I also had Jacobs in there, so hold hold that receipt because I was wrong on that one. I did not think he was going to be back week one. So one for two, not bad. I'll take it. That being said, Taylor's situation is still messy, and we know he's out at least to four weeks, but he still accrues those games, Bradley, which is is the important piece of information here because all he needs is six and not even showing up for the first four. He gets to acquire those games as part of his cruel base. And once he hits six, he has his year of eligibility, which is is no longer now in a contract year again. Because if he did not get his six games in, he would be in another contract year going into the next year because he wouldn't accrue a year of eligibility. This is one of those things we really have to watch because – now he could potentially only suit up for two games all season. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's it is a possibility where ankle's not right. Maybe they extend him and they leave him. They put him on IR. Maybe he comes back and plays two games, or maybe he gets two games out of the way early, and then he says his ankle isn't right. So it's one of those situations where the relationship is sour. He doesn't want to be there. We've now see him on the pup. He wasn't traded, so maybe we see him as a trade candidate before we hit the the trade deadline, and that changes things but as of right now i'm not really comfortable drafting him i'm really regretting i had a monster team out of the the nine hole where stefan diggs or not sorry where, where tyreek hill fell to me at the nine hole and i got amon ross st brown on the way back 
in round two. And lo and behold, this was two days ago, JT was sitting there at 3-9. And I said, I'm going to take a gamble in case he gets traded to Miami, thinking I could have this monster build and hit a home run shot. And now I'm looking at that team, and I feel like I just wasted a Tyreek Hill, Amon Ra, St. Brown stack, or build, I should say. And, and now I don't have a running back for four weeks. And so I'm not comfortable taking him. I would much rather have David Montgomery ahead of him in drafts as it stands right now. I would probably be more comfortable taking him like around the Khalil Herbert, mm-hmm. A.J. Dillon range, that 8-9 round, I think. I, that's where I'm comfortable taking him. But that you might, might even be too early based upon – the complexity of his injury and his his status with the Colts. Yeah, I had been avoiding JT mostly. 0% exposure on underdog, 5% exposure on DraftKings, 0% on the FFPC, uh, 10% on drafters, but I hadn't been doing as much volume drafting on there. So I think that's from before the injury. Nevertheless, JT, this is a player that would end up on this list anyways, round-by-round landmines, players to avoid. We've already gotten him out of the way. Let's begin in round one. For me, it's still Bijan Robinson. I thought I was high on him when I predicted he would be top five running back this year, way back, way back, I don't know, eight, nine months ago when Fancy Pros had me on and asked me for a bold prediction. I said Bijan Robinson would be a top five running back for this year, and that seems to be a freezing cold take, but... I think there should be a healthy amount of skepticism for how efficient this Atlanta offense is going to be. Tyler Algier is going to be involved in this offense. I do have Bijan projected for 310 touches and 13 touchdowns, but for him to pay off, he needs to be either running back one or running back two, because right now he's going as running back three, and many people are taking him as the running back one or two overall. There's going to be rushing volume there, but I don't know if he's going to get the goal line volume that can get him into the 15 touchdowns and the 50 50 targets, the 40 receptions. I don't know if that is strongly within the range of outcomes because that's what it would take for him to pay off. It feels like he's not going to get there given the talent that's behind him, given the lack of trust that we have with Arthur Smith as a coach. And, of course, the the second-year quarterback, Desmond Ritter, we don't know what he will look like. I have concerns about this entire situation, the Atlanta Falcons, Bijan Robinson in particular. Man, Bijan, man. I've it's one of the players that like I love the talent. I don't love the situation. Right. But he could just be so good where it's just gonna burn me. He has moved up my projections based upon what we've seen in the passing work. And I still don't think he hits the targets that are gonna be necessary to pay off his draft capital, but they run the ball so damn much that he could make it up for it on the ground, right? What if he's like, I haven't projected for 56% of the rushing share, which is looking at the projections. Let me just double check the numbers real quick. I believe it's 270 attempts. Um, yeah. So 200 and 266 attempts. So pretty close to 270. And so that being said, like what if it's 60%, right? That extra 4% right. where it's going to push him into that, easily top three running back threshold now because not many running backs in the league are getting 60% of the rushing share, which that would then make up for the extra 10, maybe 15, 20 targets that we're talking about. So it's a very tough player to project, in my opinion. The field, as, as in general, is just very high on them. I've come around, but I'm still not as high as the field is. 
All right, Billy, give us a player that you're avoiding in round one. Player that I'm avoiding in round one. Or that one. could be a landmine in round one. Yeah, there's 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 a couple. Bijan, I think, is is was was one of my I think go-to answers. The other one's kind of cheating, but I'm gonna do it anyways because he goes at the one-two turn pretty consistently. And that's going to be Devontae Adams. So we see him go anywhere from the 211 to like the 23. So I'm gonna cut the corner on this one and say Devontae Adams. I love Devontae Adams, what he's been able to do in his career, but I have seen Jimmy Garoppolo firsthand and what he's done on my Niners. I think that he is going to hold this offense back altogether, and he's going to frustrate Devontae Adams. I think that we're going to see a significant decline in targets overall for Devontae Adams. We're not going to see the volume that we saw last year in this offense from a passing standpoint, especially we know that Jimmy Garoppolo has not been able to stay healthy in his career. And I don't like the backups that we have here at the time being. I think they have some options and some growth potentials, but right out the gates, it's a little scary. So Devontae Adams, uh, my, my landmine at the end of round one, apparently. That's okay. Sometimes Devontae Adams goes into round two, but we'll let it slide. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profiler already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD, I used to play underdog just for the best ball drafts. The best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly, and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? What better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can 5x your payout. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Underdog Fantasy, the promo code is Underworld, for an instant deposit match up to $100. Underdog is the truest friend of the Underworld. That's right. Use promo code Underworld on Underdog Fantasy. They're still filling the BBM4 drafts. Make sure you guys are checking it out. Underdog Fantasy. Into round two. I think the biggest landmine in round two is wide receiver Chris Olave. Olave last year, rookie year. Oh, Billy hates this. Biggest, uh, (laughs) Billy hates this one. But Olave, a 0% top five rate among all, among wide receivers. Only one other wide receiver in it was, is being drafted in the top 12 right now that had a 0% top five rate last year. And that was with Michael Thomas missing all but three games. He had plenty of opportunity. It was just Rashid Shahid and Jawan Johnson. Right, the Saints project still to be one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL, and I'm not confident that Derek Carr is much of an improvement over Andy Dalton. If we look at the efficiency metrics that Dalton put up last year, they were actually pretty respectable. The PFF passing grade, the NFL passer grade, it was just the reason why the stats looked bad for Dalton was because of the passing volume, it was just too low. And I don't think that that is going to be different this year for Derek Carr because the Saints have signaled to us that they're going to be running pretty heavily. They signed Jamal Williams, who had 17 rushing touchdowns last year. They drafted Kendra Miller and Alvin Kamara is only suspended for three games. Plus your boy Taysom Hill is still on the team, Billy. So I don't mind Olave in round three as like your wide receiver three. If you're trying to build like a power wide receiver team, 
But round two is a pretty steep price for a player that I don't have confidence can continue to be elevated by Derek Carr in this type of offense. Oh man, Bradley, I, this one makes me sad because I love Chris Olave this year. I love the profile. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that this is once again a circumstance situation that can elevate him. Love the profile. I think the circumstance is better than it was last year, even with Michael Thomas back in the mix. I agree with you that Andy Dalton was serviceable last year with 7.6 yards per attempt. He had a 66.7 completion percentage. That being said, he didn't throw the ball all that much. So 378 attempts on 14 games, where in comparison, let's just use 15 games that Derek Carr played last year was 502 attempts. Prior to that, in 2021, Derek Carr threw the ball 626 attempts. And so I would expect Carr to throw the ball significantly more than Andy Dalton in this offense, which in turn is going to bump up the overall receptions for all the receiving core, the total yards for all the receiving core, the touchdowns. So that's just going to help inflate all the numbers of all the receivers here. We saw even on the 378 attempts from Andy Dalton last year and the other quarterbacks were mixed in. Olave still had 119 targets. He clips the 1,000-yard mark in his rookie campaign, only four touchdowns, and still finished as wide receiver 25 in fantasy points per game. I think that's just the beginning for Olave. I think that we could easily see him inside the top 13, 14 at the position. I easily think he's an eclipse 1,000-yard mark this year. I have him projected for closer to six touchdowns this year. I think it's 6.8. And so I like Chris Olave and where he's going to draft. So it's a little disappointing to hear that for me, my landmine, and this was going to be my round three landmine, but Bradley, he snuck up into round two as of late. Oh no, and, don't do it to me. Don't do it to Calvin me. Ridley. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Cause now he's in round two. I've seen him go inside the FFPC main event and the FFPC fantasy pros championship. He went at two Oh two. Yeah. He went at the two Oh two, but I'm just that one. I'll just call an anomaly, but he consistently goes now at like the two nine to 10 to 11 and I'm out. I just can't do it that price. So he's going off the board inside the top 15, like clockwork. He's only finished inside the top 15. I think once in his career, I better double check the numbers before I misspeak. Cause I get called out on this when I do this, when I don't look it up. Yeah. He's finished inside the top 15 once in his career. It was 2020. It was the year Julio Jones got hurt where he had 18.8 fantasy points per game outside that Bradley. He's never once eclipsed the 1000 yard mark outside of that one year. He's never eclipsed the 90 reception mark. He's actually never finished higher than 64 receptions in any point in his career outside that one year. He's never had a hundred targets or more outside that one year. And so I get it. He's a talented player. He's, in a better situation on a better offense, but he hasn't played football in a year and a half. He's going to be 29 here shortly. And there's a lot of changes. So although I like him, people think when I say this, that I'm like, I hate Calvin Ridley. No, I don't hate Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley is a great player. I think he's a good football player. I just don't like him inside the top 15. I like him as like, why does he for 20? Why does he for 21? Why does he for 12, 13, 14, 15? Like he went, like you said, the 202 the other day, get out of here. 202, people are taking him over Garrett Wilson, A.J. Brown in some of those drafts. It's just nuts. I will continue to take discounts on Calvin Ridley. That's why I draft a lot of him. I do like his profile. I've given my reasons. I'm pro-Calvin Ridley this year. It doesn't mean I'm anti-Christian Kirk, for the record, but 
Calvin Ridley is is my dude. So All right, hold up. If you're on the clock at the end of the round two and you have Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, and Calvin Ridley staring at you in the face, who are you drafting? Waddle. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Waddle, then Ridley, and then Devonta Smith. Oh man, I, I like Devonta Smith, but I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get. I get why people like him. It's just a little steep. A little steep for me. Let's move on to round three, Billy. For me, it's Amari Cooper. Cooper did set career highs in targets, in yards per reception, and air yards last year. All of this despite finishing wide receiver thirty or worse in five of six games with Deshaun Watson starting. Now, Deshaun Watson is going to be the starter. It seems like he's brushed off a little bit more rust, but Deshaun Watson is playing outdoors. He played almost all of his games in the Dome in Houston. And the addition of Elijah Moore, that's eyebrow-raising. I'm not sure what your opinion of Elijah Moore is. I loved his profile coming out of Ole Miss. I thought he was going to be the next big thing, and then somehow he ended up on Salah's like, doghouse list and Things just went from bad to worse for Elijah Moore. I think he's still really talented, but it's interesting to me that the Browns went out and they they got Elijah Moore. They drafted Cedric Tillman. They retained DPJ. They're still rolling with a respectable top 10 tight end in David Njoku, and that's a lot of mouths to feed. For most of the season, it was just Amari Cooper being targeted really heavily by a surprising Jacoby Brissett last year. I think that Amari Cooper will still give you some spike weeks. Like maybe so for best ball, of course, you're going to be interested in him maybe in the fourth round, let him fall a little bit. But for the third round, you're expecting him to be a pretty consistent producer and a high achiever. And I don't think Amari Cooper can give you the consistency that you want from a round three selection. I'm on board with this one. Yeah, I'm out on Amari Cooper as well at cost right now. We do see him slipping around four from time to time. It's probably where he belongs more than around three. The chemistry, he just lacked it with Watson down the stretch as well. We saw DPJ consistently finished as a top 35 receiver. It seemed like they had more of a connection. You already talked about the addition of Elijah Moore. We already know that they have David Njoku. There's a lot of mouths to feed. We also know Watson has struggled in his return, and we're probably going to see some of those struggles continue here into 2023. I do expect him to be better this year, but probably not to his, his old form that we were used to in Houston. And so I am on board with fading Amari Cooper in round three. My next one actually pains me, Bradley, because it was a player I was very high on in the beginning of the year. They cooled my jets because the Patriots always do it to me, Bradley. A year oh. in and year out, <laughs> they get me when I think that we're going to see a lead back inside this backfield. And yet again, here we go. Hoodie, hoodie pulled one over on me. And Ramondre Stevenson is the back now that I'm fading in round three. Loved, love him as a player, love his talent. Love what he did last year where he saw 69 receptions and he saw 89 targets, which was third most in the league with a thousand rushing yards. There was a lot to like about Ramondre Stevenson. There's still a lot to about Ramondre Stevenson, but with Zeke in town now, it changes things slightly for me. It just pushes his value down enough to where I'm just not comfortable taking him in round three, even at the tail end. Because Zeke, although he is old and in the words of Theo, dusted, we're still going to see him probably rush the ball for close to 200 rushing attempts. We're probably going to see him utilized pretty heavily in goal line packages because he falls forward a lot. He's still a, a capable pass catcher. And word on the street is that he is eating into some of those targets inside of practice as well with, with Ramondre Stevenson. So it's just enough of a nuisance 
to where he's going to eat into the workload of Ramondre Stevenson enough to where it drops him down in my projections enough just to get him outside of the round three. I agree with you, Ramondre Stevenson. I, I agree with him being a fade. I think end of round four is maybe where I would be yeah. comfortable taking him. And I've gotten him in some of the DK drafts there, especially in full PPR. That feels pretty nice. But in round three, it feels spicy with Ezekiel Elliott getting a lot of the goal line work and have a history of converting goal line rushes. The other thing that we need to keep in mind is the confidence that this coaching staff has in Ezekiel Elliott because they just traded Pierre Strong. They just cut Kevin Harris. They just cut Ty Montgomery. It's clear that Ezekiel Elliott is going to play a significant role in this offense. So I, I agree with you. The pass catching, the pass blocking, the goal line work, a lot of it can go to Zeke even if he's not very efficient, even if Ramondre is the better talent at this point in, in his career. All right, round four for me. I feel like this is chalk, though. I feel like every single fantasy analyst is going to be harping on round four Najee Harris. <laughs> round four Najee Harris, right? It feels like a dead horse has just been beaten over and over again. But there are valid concerns about drafting Najee Harris in round four. Harris hasn't averaged four yards per carry in either of his first two seasons. And despite juking and evading tacklers at a top 10 rate, his breakaway run rate last year was 51st overall among all running backs, and it was outside the top 24 his rookie season. So he he's not evading people, even though he's trying to do these moves. He's just not elusive. He's not able to create yards on his own. He's not very fast, and he's a below-average pass catcher. So while I believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is going to be better, I like some some upside from Pickens in best ball, from Pickett. I like Deontay Johnson in the full PPR. I think Najee Harris is, has some red flags that we can't ignore, and I haven't mentioned Jalen Warren yet. But Warren's probably going to get at least a third of the snaps, and that's concerning for, for Najee as well. I'm piggybacking on this one, Bradley. I'm not going to take another player because Najee Harris needs to be a double fade in this round just because of his inefficiencies. I, I know his line is improved this year, and it's going to be beneficial for the team overall. But you mentioned Jalen Warren at the end, and I think 30% might be light in comparison to what I have projected for, I have him closer to the 40% mark inside of snaps and, and, and workload on this offense. And that's going to eat into Najee Harris's uh, overall opportunity share, which where he's, this is what's propped his fantasy points up, right? He was wide receiver number 10 in opportunity share last year at 69.9% in weighted opportunities, running back number eight with 246.4. So if you have any, addition of competition in any targets or carries it's not going to be good for Najee because he has not been efficient 3.9 yards per carry his rookie season 3.8 yards per carry last year only reason he eclipsed 1200 yard mark was because he had 307 attempts his rookie year and the only reason he eclipsed a 1000 yard mark last year was because he had 272 attempts last year I don't think we're going to see that type of volume here going to 2023 and this is an easy fade for me in round four Easy fades in round four. If you guys are liking this content, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Round five, fade for me, Terry McLaurin. And this is a player that might be, he might be gone for the first two weeks. We're monitoring the situation, the toe situation. He might play week one. He might not. 
but it's deeper than that because we also have some confidence in Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson had a higher rate of top 18 weeks last year, and that was even with Dotson leaving some games early. And look, McLaurin will probably still be okay for fantasy. Like he's been a, a wide receiver 28 to 20 every single season, but he's not been better than wide receiver 20 in any of his four seasons. And why would that change? There's a rookie quarterback. Maybe Eric Bieniemy is there. But what are we seeing that's going to change our minds on Terry McLaurin can now somehow elevate from being a back-end wide receiver two to now suddenly high-end wide receiver two? How Can he surprise? I don't think so. And that's why when I'm trying to target these players in like round five, round four, I want players who have the potential to pay off. I don't want someone who will probably just give me return back what their ADP is. And Terry McLaurin's clearly limited in his ceiling based on what we've seen over four years of his career. Turf toe Terry. We just agree. Turf toe Terry. <laughs> Turf toe Terry. <laughs> yeah. Turf toe Terry. I, I liked him more before the turf toe, but I also was a big fan of Jahan Dotson. This offense just scares me a little bit this year. Although Howell has looked really good. I'm a big believer in looking at the shootout schedule, weeks 15, 16, and 17. And they have a brutal schedule for the where the where the money counts inside of fantasy. The Rams week 15 is the easiest matchup, but then they come back week 16 and get the Jets, come back week 17 against the Niners. It's your Niners, yeah. And they're just gonna get destroyed on the front. Like they're just it's gonna be bad for them. And so I have been fading this team just because of the the schedule, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt when when the money's on the line. But also, you talked about it. Jahan Dotson emergence last year was something that can't be ignored. In only 12 games, seven touchdowns, almost 15 yards per reception. The kid is talented. And you look at Terry McLaurin, who's been a very consistent receiver, hitting 1,000 yards year in and year out, but just really hasn't done enough to, for me at least, to call him like a musket, right? He's He's been wide receiver 29, wide receiver 20, wide receiver 29, wide receiver 22. He hasn't eclipsed that wide receiver 20 mark, as to your point, where Jahan Dotson came in and immediately inserted himself as a, as a red zone presence. And I, I think that his emergence is going to hinder Terry McLaurin. The turf toe on top of that is going to do even more. My fade inside this round is Javante Williams who was not even close to this round weeks ago because of the injury, but now has really skyrocketed off uh, up boards because he's going to be ready a lot sooner than any of us ever expected. That being said, I still don't think he sees full snaps. I don't think they're going to throw him out there where we saw him in the beginning of last year, seeing that 65% snap share, 60% snap share. I think that we're looking closer to 35, 40% to start the season because He's coming off a pretty gruesome injury. He, he tore his ACL, his LCL, and PCL. And so we've seen the statistics based upon just ACL injuries where we've only had two running backs ever finish inside the top 20th position coming off this injury. Throw in all three, and you want to guess what the number is, Bradley? Minuscule. Zero. And so – very serious concerns here with Javante Williams. The guy, the way he runs just in general as well, He's he runs hard, he runs aggressive, he runs violent. It's not going to be good coming off that knee injury, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah, so in the in the comments, someone's asking about Samaj P. Ryan rounds 10 and 11. If we're fading Javante Williams, then the natural move is to be drafting a little bit more Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, I think it depends on the build. This is where I like to – I don't like to take them both. In a confined league, I think it makes sense. But what I like doing with Samaj P. Ryan is perfect play with Brees Hall because you get the upside play with Brees Hall. They don't absolutely need him right now. They have Dalvin Cook. They can rest him a little bit more. The team is probably going to rely on Aaron Rodgers and his gameplay and his pace and managing the game. And we're going to ease ease him into the play. And we know how talented Brees Hall was last year. We've seen it. And if he didn't have that injury, he's coming off an ACL as well. But if he didn't have that injury, we're probably talking about a round one pick where I don't – maybe Javante's tailing around one without the injury – more likely around two pick bottom line. I don't like owning the handcuff of the same team, especially in tournament builds. But if I'm, if I'm doing this, I'll take Samaji P Ryan around 10, 11. I'll take Brees Hall. If he falls to me in like rounds, I got him around six in a main event the other day and Brees Hall round six, take Samaji P Ryan, be able to rely on him early in the season and then fade him out as, 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 as Hall's coming in. All right. We love that strategy. In round six, my biggest fade is Miles Sanders. Some of you saw my TikTok on the player profiler TikTok page. If you guys haven't subscribed there, make sure you're checking out the TikToks that are being posted on the TikTok. Miles Sanders, though, in round six, Sanders feasted last year, right? He said, don't draft me. And then he proceeds to have a massive season, double digit touchdowns, right? Thousand yards glorious for fantasy managers who drafted him late. Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs were the saviors for many of us, but he was behind one of the best offensive lines. He was on one of the best offenses in general to put him into goal line situations, but now he moves to Carolina. Yes. He's paid a lot of money, but Carolina does not project to be a very good offense. And to make matters worse, Miles Sanders has dealt with a groin injury this this summer, and he's been splitting carries this preseason 50-50 with Chuba Hubbard. Hubbard was actually pretty decent last year in an efficiency metrics side. Like Miles Sanders has been given a lot of grief after his rookie season for his pass catching. Chuba Hubbard, on the other hand, last year was running back two overall in yards per reception. He was running back nine in yards per route run, running back 10 in NFL passer rating when targeted. And Chuba was a decent rusher himself. He was running back 19 in PFF rush grade. And Sanders hasn't caught more than 30 passes since his rookie season. And he hasn't been better than running back 17 throughout his career. Once again, this is buying into a the volume trap we project miles sanders to get the majority of the volume but it's on a bad team with another player that is decent enough in efficiency i have concerns about miles sanders paying off this season especially at a higher price than last year oh bradley i don't like this one i like miles sanders i think i'm gonna play devil's advocate here i think we're gonna see more involvement in the passing game if you look back to his rookie season, he was very involved in the passing game. And then the very next year, Jalen Hurts was inserted as a quarterback who's a rushing quarterback who did not check the ball down. And we saw his passing volume dip off significantly. I think he sees enough passing work to make up for what he loses on the ground here. And his efficiency behind was running behind one of the best offensive lines. And 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 we know that Carolina is not nearly as good on offensive front as as the Eagles were, but I think he makes up for it in the passing game. So I'll just throw that two cents in there. I won't, I won't, I won't rain on the parade here because I I, I like him. But 
Kyle Pitts for me is the fade here in round six. I like Kyle Pence, the talent. I just don't trust the coaching staff here in Atlanta. I don't think Arthur Smith is smart enough to utilize his playmakers the way he should. He consistently misuses Kyle Pitts and runs him in places he shouldn't run, like an ex-receiver when he should run him in line. We know they added Bijan Robinson. Atlanta is projected for me to be bottom two in the league in total pass attempts. I just don't think there's enough volume out there to support him at his ADP and where he's going at cost. Unless Desmond Ritter takes a massive step forward and averages like 33 attempts a game, which I don't think is going to happen. He was on pace for 28 and a half last year. And so we would need to see a, a significant boost in overall attempts for him to, to return this value. And we just haven't seen it so far from Kyle Pitts. Hasn't finished better than wide receiver 11, or sorry, tight end 11 in fantasy points per game. Last year in his, his small sample size, 10 games, was tight end 22 in fantasy points per game. So I'm fading here at cost. Yeah, Kyle Pitts is one of those that, like, there's such a tier break, though. And I think, you know, as fantasy drafters, we have to think, is it worth that tier? And especially in lineup setting. Like, in non-lineup setting leagues like best ball leagues like you can take your shots on Kyle Pitts and then later your Hunter Henry's and your Mike Gesicki's those type of high upside plays but when it comes to setting your lineup I think it's a much more difficult click because you know that am I going to be okay with Kyle Pitts who can explode but has the major questions on the offense or am I okay with a Pat Fryermuth who's going to consistently get me like eight to ten fantasy points but almost never bust right that's that's something that fancy managers are going to be struggling with. I think as they are drafting here over this next week or so, what type of consistency and what type of risk tolerance are you willing to take on round seven for me? It's Alvin Kamara, a player that I think can be a landmine. He's suspended for three games, but that's not the primary argument for me. Kamara has lost his efficiency over the past two seasons. And I think that's primarily to do with him getting 220 carries or more each of those seasons. It's frustrating to me because we've seen him be the running back four overall on 120 carries. Why are they running Alvin Kamara between the tackles? It makes no sense. I don't think that Dennis Allen is a coach that we can trust to use Alvin Kamara to be a running back one. And so I think his running back one days are behind him. He had not handled more than 194 carries before these last two seasons. The addition of Kendry Miller is also an eyebrow raise, a third round pick, and Jamal Williams we mentioned earlier. So they may not usurp Kamara, but it's hard to see Kamara when he returns from suspension maintaining his 75% or higher snap share that he was putting on last year as a low-end running back one, high-end running back two with the occasional spike week. I don't think he will be able to maintain the efficiency that he's shown in previous seasons. Yeah, don't hate it. I think he's out, but I could see why you're fading him. Mine, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. I, I just can't get in on the train here. I know the train has left the station. I'm still standing on the platform. I just can't do it. I know he's around one pick as well, but... Seattle has two good receivers ahead of them still. They got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. 
both who have consistently finished inside the top 20 at the position in fantasy points per game. Uh, it's going to be tough for Jack Smith the Jigba to see the field in two wide receiver sets. He probably sees it in three wide receiver sets, but he's still competing for targets versus those two alphas. Not to mention, we know that he just had a broken wrist and surgery, and I know he's already back in practice with it wrapped, but it seems like an uphill battle for him to return value here. You consistently see him go in drafts inside the top 33 at the position, and it's just too rich for my blood. It is pretty rich. I do the spike weeks at the end of the season and the correlation with Pittsburgh. If we're in on Pittsburgh taking a step forward, that could be a sneaky shootout game between the Steelers and the Seahawks. And I do want pieces of that game, but I also like how cheap Tyler Lockett is going and DK Metcalf falls in some drafts. And so I'm in on getting some DK. So I can see maybe if we're fading JSN a little bit, we are going after those other two pass catchers. For me, round eight, and there's going to be a similarity in round nine, round eight is Sky Moore. And for me, my view of Sky Moore is that his best chance to consistently produce for this Chiefs offense would be out of the slot. Problem is, the Chiefs brought in a 90% slot route runner in Richie James, who is actually pretty decent. Last year, James had a 24% target rate. He's wide receiver 35 in yards per route run, wide receiver 27 in formation adjusted yards per route run. He was wide receiver 11 in route win rate, wide receiver 9 in win rate versus man coverage, and wide receiver 27 in fantasy points per target on the Giants, right? Sky Moore, he dominated in college, but it was at Western Michigan, right? So it may have taken him a little bit to acclimate. And last season, he did have a 22% target rate, but he only eclipsed 50% snaps once during the season. We were deceived by the Chiefs last year that there would be a wide receiver to step up. And I know that Sky Moore is a big-time favorite, but I struggled to find where the 5'9", undersized wide receiver can make a living in this offense given the struggles that he showed last year. This is a tough one for me, Bradley. I think that the offense is so good that... It, it may not matter where he's running out of, and they have a lack of weapons altogether. I, I have him inside of my top 36 of the position in my projections. Um, I think he has a lot of outs. I can see why you want to fade him, but I'm, I'm not on board with it. I, you, you might be the same with me on this one. I'm fading Zay Flowers in round eight for s- opposite reasons. For me, it's it breaks down to... Again, seeing the field, we have Bateman on the offense. They brought in Odell Beckham. They have an alpha tight end, very similar to Travis Kelsey. But the biggest difference between these two offenses is the passing volume. Yes. Kansas City is projected for top three pretty easily in overall pass attempts, where Baltimore is projected for bottom 10. And that's even with a big boost in in volume based upon the new Munkin offense. I like Zay as a talent. I think he's an outstanding talent. I loved what he did at Boston College. I just don't know if 2023 is the year that we're going to see his 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 breakout. Yeah, I, I see Sky Moore and Zay Flowers at about the same projection. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's the projection. So pretty close, pretty close. I do. I am a little worried about Zay Flowers as well for the from the volume perspective. So I, I see yours there. Round nine, similar theme. We have to be skeptical of the Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers. And I 
am also lumping Kadarius Tony in there. Look, we love Tony as like the human joystick. Billy, I think that's how you how you refer to him quite affectionately. But I think he sometimes jukes himself out of his own body. Like his <laughs> he wants to go one way and, and his body is like, no, I just can't do it. And so it breaks down, right? It'll be hard to know when to start Tony in your redraft leagues. And Stack Hunters is primarily a best ball league. But the problem with this is that Tony is still being drafted in like the top 100, top 10, top 110. So in the first 10 rounds or so, he missed all of the valuable offseason reps due to the knee surgery. It could have led to a full-time role, but he doesn't even profile as an X receiver a lot of schemed touches instead of he's earning his way open. So my concerns with Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore is that there's ambiguity here. We're not sure if they are going to be able to take that next step forward. And in particular for Kadarius Tony, we already have a litany of red flags this off season. It's not worth it, at least in the round nine price tag that we're getting. I'm hundred percent on board with the Tony fed. I, I think the guy is, Talented, but I just think he'll never see the field in full capacity. My round nine fave, and I'm going to keep this on brand for player profiler, is Quentin Johnson. I don't really like the talent. I didn't really like the tape. I think he's slow. I don't see what I think. I've watched his tape because I don't watch a lot of college football. Like I'll watch some and I'll watch tape on the players they declare and, and I'll watch highlights and then I'll go through and then I'll watch full games with them. But I don't sit there and watch the entire season. And the games that I went and watched, because I watched his tape and highlights and I was like, ah, I'm not that impressed with Quentin Johnson. And then I went and watched like a couple full games to see if I was missing anything. And I just don't see what people are so enamored with this kid. I, I just don't like him. I don't like his tape. I don't like his separation. And now we've seen him in preseason struggling with drops. Word on the street now is that Trey Palmer's running ahead of him with the ones. Or not sorry, Trey Palmer. Josh Palmer's running ahead of him with the ones. And I have concerns with Quentin Johnson. The only thing I think that's even coming close, remotely close to saving him is the volume. This is the offense I have for the most pass attempts in the league and love the addition of Kellen Moore. I have only taken Quentin Johnson less than a handful of times in the couple hundred drafts that I've done, and I do not see myself adding much more of him, if, if any, as the season progresses towards next week. When looking at my projections, I put Josh Palmer projected for more points and half PPR scoring than Quentin Johnston and that was that was before the Matthew Kelly player profiler brand started to explode on the anti Quentin Johnson train but here we are I was fading just easy to dislike the guy I know I I want to see like an argument for him like I just people just talk about oh they they like him as a talent and I just don't even see the talent oh oh (laughs) (laughs) on that front we will finish out uh, with round 10 we're going to do 10 rounds and then both billy and i are going to offer a late round of void and then uh we'll see if there's any special surprises at the end of billy uh my round 10 fade is rashad penny and look you should not have been in on the Trey Sermon hype, right? That that was a false narrative. Trey Sermon got cut today for those who, who were not paying attention. But for those who want to get in on it, join the Player Profiler Discord channel and check out the news desk because a lot of chatter happens in the news desk to determine 
whether or not something is newsworthy to determine whether or not rumors will come to fruition. And then, of course, something new on the news desk is the writers in the news desk add legitimate news to each of the players' profiles. So you can go to a player's pro player's profile on the website. You can search them up, find their name, and you can click on news and notes, and you'll find the most recent news about that player. So if you go to the Discord for player profiler, you'll get all this news, and the news was that Trey Sermon got cut. So the former third round pick for your boy for your San Francisco 49ers, Billy. Now, remember, Rashad Penny is coming off a season ending injury himself. He missed 12 games last year and some fantasy analysts. It, it wouldn't be me, of course. And Billy, I don't think it would be you either. But some fantasy analysts might say the penny crushed last year. He absolutely crushed out of the gate. And he did have the volume because Zach Charbonnet, or not Zach Charbonnet, Kenneth Walker was dealing with the hernia surgery and, and got the volume to start the season because Kenneth Walker was out. But it's not necessarily true. That's a false narrative that Penny crushed. Penny finished outside the top 30 of weekly running backs in four of the five games he played before his injury. His one spike week came against one of the worst defenses at the time, and that was the Detroit Lions. We know how bad the Lions were on defense. He totaled 157 yards, two touchdowns, but Penny is a fragile asset. He has not proven that he can be a consistent high-end producer. And then you mentioned earlier that the Philadelphia Eagles don't like throwing to the running back, and Rashad Penny is going to have to be efficient with the volume. And there are other players that are valuable rushing the ball in this offense. Jalen Hurts gets the goal line work. DeAndre Swift is there. I believe Swift is the better talent or the best talent of all of the running backs. You've got the annoying Boston Scott who somehow gets three touchdowns every year against the New York Giants. And then Kenny Gainwell has been steamed up lately. I think Rashad Penny has many paths to failure and only really one path to success, and that is holding off all of those running backs and then having the touchdown regression to match it. So Rashad Penny for me around 10 fate. Oh man, you know me, I've always been a huge Penny fan, but this is the one year that I have actually faded him. Didn't like the cost associated with him, especially when he was added over to this, this, this new offense. Got to love the offensive line, which might help him stay a little healthier, but I just, I just know that we're not going to see him 10 games, right? We might see him six, seven, eight, we might be lucky there. But last year played five games, 2021 played 10, the year before three, the year before that nine, 13 in 2018 as a rookie he has yet to finish an entire season. We've seen how athletic he's been, but I don't think that we're going to get the commitment from the Eagles with Penny for him to pay off at this price. So I'm fully on board with fading Penny at cost this year. My round 10 fade this year, and I can't believe it's a round 10 pick. Like I probably wouldn't even take this guy in like round 12 is Juju Smith Schuster. He belongs on TikTok, not on the NFL field anymore. He was not able to get it done in, in the Kansas city chiefs offense where he played 16 games and still only saw 101 targets. I think that, he was at one point in Pittsburgh, a great receiver, but I don't think that we're ever going to see that Juju Smith-Schuster again. And, and especially not with hoodie and, and the Patriots. And we saw Mac Jones struggle mightily at times. And I just don't think Juju Smith-Schuster is going to give any return on his value there. Last year, even in arguably one of the best offenses in football, 
uh, if not the best wide receiver 35 in fantasy points per game only saw three touchdowns 763 air yards and and so there's just a lot of negatives with Juju Smith-Schuster and I don't see how him going to the Patriots is going to be beneficial for him and his fantasy success yeah the Patriots was a bad landing spot it was also a bad choice by the Patriots to not re-sign Jacoby Myers when they could have when they could have signed him for cheaper I think Juju signed for more a more expensive contract or a similar contract than Jacoby Myers Myers clearly the better wide receiver at this point just to uh, talk about Juju for a second he was inconsistent at least before in the first half of the season he had some nice spike week games but in the second half of the season he never recovered from that concussion and the knee injury like he just was not the same player in the second half of the season throughout the playoffs and we have to be concerned about how he's going to play on the this mac jones led new england offense we do expect new england to be a better offense but maybe not by much Maybe not by much. And notably, New England has cut so many players. They only have two active running backs and one active quarterback as of this recording, Billy. So, but just Mac Jones, just Ramondre Stevenson, just Ezekiel Elliott. So this offense is lacking. And I agree with your your Juju Smith-Schuster fade. Also because Mike Kosicki plays a lot in the slot, right? <laughs> and if we like Mike Kosicki as a big power tight end touchdown guy, then he might be taking away that fantasy opportunity as well from Juju running in the end zone. Billy and I are going to offer a late round avoid, and this is a player going round 11 through round 20 that we just aren't touching anyways. It, like it's it's a less than 2% exposure type of player, a player that we see lots of paths to failure and not a lot of paths for success. For me, and this hurts my heart, Billy, because this was one of my sleeper guys, or a guy I, I deep cut rookie sensation for your 49ers way back when we were the fantasy football fanalists, Elijah Mitchell. I love Elijah Mitchell's talent. I love his speed, his athleticism. The problem is, is that even if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, the role for Elijah Mitchell is not clear. Will the handcuff position be Jordan Mason, who has played very well during camp, made the 53? Tyrion Davis-Price made the 53. Is is it going to be him? We don't know. He was a third-round pick this past year, or last year, right, 2022. Is it going to be Debo Samuel? Will the 49ers lean more on Debo if McCaffrey goes out? I think the answer would be yes. But I loved Elijah Mitchell, but it doesn't seem like he is the clear favorite to earn direct handcuff work and where he's going in the handcuff range. I would rather give me Tyler Algier instead, because if Bijan goes down, we know it's going to be Tyler Algier, right? Give me Jalen Warren instead. If Najee goes down, it's probably going to be Jalen Warren. So give me those types of handcuffs in that same range over Elijah Mitchell. I'm on board with this. Mitchell, we talk about contingent value, and it's all contingent based upon CMC's health, but his contingent value could also be lost in the same week because he has not been the model of consistency or health himself. And we've seen 
Elijah Mitchell consistently break down. So he could earn the role and lose the role simultaneously with an injury of his own. And at that cost, it's just a little steep for me. So I'm, I'm not, I have not been drafting Elijah Mitchell either. And, and I probably just play the waiver wire with the other backs who are going undrafted. My fade also a handcuff running back that people I think are overdrafting right now. And that is going to be Kendra Miller. I don't see a lot of paths to success here. So I do think that he probably sees the field a little bit more while Kamara is suspended. But that being said, the Saints paid up for Jamal Williams. They also have the most annoying tight end in football who plays running back in Taysom Hill, who is going to consistently see goal line touches and special packages. And so people, like when you're doing projections, you have to account for Taysom Hill seeing 40 to 50 rushing attempts. And that eats into the overall share of the pie when you have three backs on top of it. So none of these backs are going to see more than 40% or 45% of the total rushing volume. Jamal Williams probably going to see the 30 range. Kendrick Miller now, if he's lucky, he's going to see 20 to 25%. Depends upon how much Taysom Hill is going to be involved. And so it's just very muddied. I think he's a great dynasty play and a dynasty stash, but I just don't love his, his chances of success in 2023. I'm in with you on Kendrick Miller as, as a player that we – He's third in the pecking order. He's got two guys who are in front of him. And I, we do like the rushing volume, but as you mentioned, it's going to be hard for Kendra to break through, at least in this year, to be a fancy contributor. Now, maybe round, week 17, maybe by that time he's getting a significant workload, but maybe not. It's, it is pretty late in the game for Kendra Miller. He was also dealing with a knee injury this offseason, so we'll That's see right. how slowly... The, the Saints do work him into the rotation because if his primary time to get work is at the beginning of the season, but his knee isn't there, it's probably going to be a lot of Jamal Williams for the first three weeks or so. And that very annoying vulture, Taysom Hill. <laughs> and Taysom Hill. All <laughs> right, Billy, we got a couple questions in the chat. You want to answer a few and then yeah, we'll peace out? Yeah, let's do it. All right, this guy, 12, wants to know about ETN and Damian Pierce. They've been getting steamed up all of a sudden a bunch. What's up with that? And I think that the Damian Pierce getting steamed up has to do with the routes run that he's been uh, having in the off season. Yep. I was not a Damian Pierce guy until we started seeing different usage for him. There were rumors way back when I was a guest on mind of mansion. It was that week where rumors were flying that this San Francisco quarterbacks coach. Now the offensive coordinator was going to use Damian Pierce in the Christian McCaffrey role. And Matt Kelly and I were both scoffing at that. But maybe it's not Chris McCaffrey, but maybe Chris McCaffrey light. How much are you buying Damian Pierce getting some passing down role? I I think it's going to happen. He's climbed up my projection slightly. I'm not as high as as a lot of people are, but even as a rookie last year, he was fairly involved, and we saw 39 targets, wide receiver 30, and in, in overall targets, 30 receptions, and so it wasn't. It wasn't like it was nothing, but it wasn't a lot. But from a rookie perspective in only 13 games, you got to like what you saw. And he was a player that I think I misevaluate coming out of college. And and I think that I underestimated how hard he was going to run. And really what I saw when he was on the field in, in Houston, 13 games, almost a thousand rushing yards on 220 attempts. We think this offense is going to be better. 
we know that they're probably going to lean into Damian Pierce quite a bit, at least on the ground game. And we've seen what Devin Singletary is, and I don't think he's a real threat to Damian Pierce's workload. So I understand why he's steaming up. And if we can see that that targets go more for 42, 45 range this year, maybe closer to 50, then I think it's well worth the steam. And then Travis Etienne is also getting bumped up. I think this is just natural juice for the Jacksonville Jaguars offense, plus the Tank Bigsby fumble in the preseason right at the goal line. Some people are like, oh, they're not going to put Tank Bigsby in that role moving forward. I don't know. I'm taking some Tank Bigsby as a handcuff possibility in the best ball leagues. Rotate him through. If you're not taking some ETN, do sprinkle in some Tank Bigsby. But I don't mind drafting Travis ETN. I've seen him fall into the fifth round, fourth, fifth round, late fourth, fifth round. I'm fine with Travis ETN. Yeah, I haven't really seen any steam on ETN. He's been going where he's been going all year. If anything, he's actually fallen in draft rooms. In the last couple of weeks, I've gotten a couple of round five shares where he was consistently going in round four for a while. Even prior to that, he was going in round three. I think he's probably priced appropriately. And if anything, he might climb a little bit based upon the news that of Jaguars camp that Bigsby's going to be earning more reps as the season goes on. And so that would just lead me to believe that TETN is going to be in the field a lot more early and often. All right, last question for the night, and then we'll let you go, Billy probably to another draft ml good friend ml wants to know about the ffpc mains in particular late round wide receivers washington all can do it man curtis samuel or leaning on rookie sensation slot receiver josh downs for indy who would you be targeting given especially in the context ml mentions the washington playoff schedule being brutal does that change your perspective of curtis samuel or is it the Josh Downs show in Indy? Can I say neither? Can I just not draft either of these guys? This is the range where I'm typically taking like handcuff running backs and I'm looking for upside plays at the position. I would rather have my five or six receivers earlier in the draft, someone that's going to see a lot more snaps, someone that's going to be regularly involved in red zone packages, someone that's going to see closer to 25% target share. And then best ball, great. I'll take a chance on these guys. Like I'd go Curtis Samuel. But main event... I'm taking upside shots at running back here. This is the range that I'm drafting all the handcuff running backs, not my handcuff, but other people's handcuffs, uh, especially in these tournament builds. So you're talking about the Evan Holes. You're talking about the Deion Jacksons. You're talking about the well, Rico's probably climbing today now with the, with the cut of Malik. But these are the range you're taking all these players previously for that upside shot to, to give you another chance at, a, at, a, at a, the top tier running back. Billy, give us the drops. Where are you at? How can people follow you, find you? Give us the goods. Of course, here on Player Profiler, I do all the rankings and projections. And I'm updating the projections tonight after this, actually. No drafts tonight because I got a lot of news to update. Did a draft before this, but I do have a lot of projections to finalize tonight. And then tomorrow, updating the analyst cheat sheet and reviewing the projections with Dario. Looking for anything that we may have missed. So those will be updated by tomorrow afternoon. I want to get those out for everybody. So when you're going into your weekend drafts, you have the most up-to-date information. Podcast this week, seven days straight on the Dominator. We're drafting daily, doing FFPC drafts, doing a bunch of player profiler, or sorry, fantasy pros championship drafts on the player profiler feed. And that's going to be on the Dominator. And then I'm going to be in Vegas next week drafting. So if you're going to be at the FFPC drafts, come say hi to me. I'd love to have a drink with you, catch up and, and talk football. All right. On behalf of Billy, I'm Bradley. Make sure you guys have hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. And until next time, 
Good luck in your drafts, everyone. That was Samuel. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.